We're going to continue just on some lessons from the book of Acts as I've been reading it, things that I feel like God's been teaching me. Um, and so I'm going to share some of those and, and we'll, um, you know, hopefully be encouraged and maybe a little challenged by that and call it, call it a morning here. But I'm going to go ahead and pray and then we'll jump into what we're going to look at this morning. Ah, well, Lord Jesus, uh, we do just want to look to you this morning. We ask you to meet us here. Just uh, thank you for the opportunity to come together and have fellowship and and worship you together. And um, we just thank you that you're in our midst through your spirit. And Lord, as we look at some of these verses today, I just ask that you would uh, speak to us, that you would work on our thinking, our actions, our hearts, our our will um, to accomplish whatever it is you want in in each one of our lives and, and in our church as a whole. Um, God, you say your word is living and active, that it works on those, it performs its work on those who believe, and we just ask you would work on us and adjust our thinking and bring it in line with you and pray in the process we'd be uh, transformed more into your image because of this morning. We ask you for all this grace, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's see here. Um, You know, last week we talked about um, the idea of the the ruling that happened in the Supreme Court now, probably two weeks ago, and I talked about watching a video and things like that, and after watching the video a little more and getting some more counsel, I think, one, we don't have time probably for everything we hope to accomplish this morning. It was, uh, video was not necessarily short, um, but I thought we'd just share, i just share a few maybe handles for you and I to be thinking about, and then we're going to transition. I, I think it might tie into what we're going to look at from the book of Acts this morning here, but you know, two handles that we've got to catch on the subject of marriage um, and maybe how it relates to us. Um, one is just the, the definition of marriage. Really, there's two verses, two passages we're going to look on here, and I hope that you would uh, refer back to these, think on these, and you know, um, just let them affect your thoughts, your opinion on this subject, because they're, they're God's thoughts. And so, um, this, this one really is kind of a, a double-edged verse here. It's when Jesus was asked some questions about marriage and divorce and things like that. And here's what Jesus had to say on the subject. Uh, he just said, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female. And said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. And therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. You know, so in this, Jesus really defines, uh, he had an opportunity to redefine what marriage is or isn't. Uh, he could have said, you know, that's the Old Testament stuff, and, and now is the New Testament progressive thinking that I, I'm ushering in. But he didn't do that. He went back to the, the origin of marriage. He went back, and he's actually quoting here from Genesis chapter 1, about God created us in his image, male and female. And he quotes from Genesis chapter 2 and said, a man will leave his... Uh, uh, let's see, a man will leave his father and mother, mother and become united with his wife. And so Jesus, he, he had a chance to set the record straight. And, and he went straight back to what God had revealed to us in the beginning. That marriage is to be between a man and a woman. And um, that no one should separate that. In some ways, I think you could probably accurately say no one should redefine that. It's not our culture's place, our government's place. It's not uh, anyone's to redefine what God has defined. If anyone could have God in the flesh, Jesus could have, and he did not. And so we need to know this is God's definition for marriage. Like it or not, I didn't come up with it. The Firehouse Church didn't come up with it. This is 
this is God's definition. So the, the next thing we need to know um, is this verse here, and, and I think this kind of is a, a, a summary of some really important things here, but it says this in Hebrews 13, 4, it says, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And so there's a lot packed into that, but we need to know that marriage, as we've talked about, a man and a woman coming together to be married in the committed relationship of marriage. Marriage should be honored by all. I believe our our founding fathers, the leaders of the nation, uh, initially brought that truth, that idea into uh, our constitution. It's been brought into the laws of the United States of America, and, and now here recently that Uh, there's this redefining and all of that, but marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. And then he goes on to say, because God's going to judge those who who are outside of marriage. You know, there's two things represented here. Adultery is once someone is within the commitment of a marriage and there's sexual activity, sexual relationship outside of a marriage, God will judge adultery. Immorality, sexual immorality is that... uh, sexual activity that occurs before one is in a committed marriage relationship where God has um, designed that to happen. And so it's very clear here, marriage should be honored by all and God's going to judge any, any uh, activity outside of his definition. There's a lot of ways to go outside of that, but we need to know that God will judge that. One, you know, and there's many who would say that judgment is something that occurs even in this life. There are things that come into our life that relate to sexual sin that are likely an overflow of God's judgment. And yet, the bigger problem is that eventually we will come before our creator who defined, who created male and female, who created the way we should relate sexually. Um, And we're going to give an account to him and there will be a judgment that is an eternal consequence. And it's obviously a, a greater deal than the challenges that we face even here on earth. So those are just two things to think about. Um, and we're not going to, you know, there's a lot of things going on as far as causes. There's, you know, certain people have certain agendas. There's uh, one of the things I've been thinking about related to the book of Acts is that there's a lot of, there's a lot of activists going on in, in this generation that we live. People are active about this subject. Uh, some are, you know, uh, active about the same-sex marriage thing. Some are against that. They're anti-same sex marriage. Some are pro-marriage and they're very active about that. There's so many different things. There's those who are activists for social justice. There's those who are activists for pro-life. There's a lot of activity going on. And as we were talking about this as pastors and, you know, even we had a John Meyer uh, from, from our, our region just discussing this with us. But, you know, we, we came back to the idea when you look at the New Testament, and you look at the book of Acts, and what these disciples were all about, they were, they were activists as well, and they were extremely active, and yet, the thing they were active about wasn't a number of good things, they could have been pro-marriage, you know, hey, we're all about pro-marriage, and, or they could have been, we're all about pro-life, you know, uh, I don't know what activity was going on back then in that realm, but they were active about the mission that Jesus gave them. You know, Jesus came into this world and he died for one cause. And, and then he asked his disciples, he commanded them to live for that same cause. And that cause has eternal ramifications. And um, as I'm reading the book of Acts here, I'm just like struck, convicted. I would like to say encouraged, but it's not really encouraging to see 
in one way, it is encouraging to see their example. They were so completely focused and devoted to the cause of getting the gospel out. A lot of good causes, a lot of probably good rabbit trails they could have gone on, and yet they were focused, extremely focused on getting the gospel out. So when we think of marriage things or other things going on in our culture, even in our government, I, I think that the challenge for us is to be, um, make sure that the biggest thing in our world is the biggest thing that Jesus assigned to his disciples, and that's the Great Commission. Loving God, and loving people, and getting the message out about getting right with God through Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that here this morning. And give you some notes, some things to chew on. Uh, I love this verse. It was in the one-year Bible this morning, and along the same thing that I've been chewing on here, but um, it just says on, on the night immediately following the situation with Paul and um, things going on in Jerusalem, it said, the Lord stood at his side and said, take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. But Jesus was saying, You've been all about my cause and keep doing that in Jerusalem and Rome. And, um, but the question I think for you and I is, is what is your cause? What are you getting active about? Um, is it the gospel or is it something else? Maybe it's some good thing and maybe it's something that's not even a good thing we're, we're active about. All our hobbies and passions sometimes don't necessarily even overlap with good things, you know, if, if you pile, line them up and prioritize them. But Paul was all about... My, my cause, the cause of Jesus is, is what we want to be about here. So um, we're going to look at uh, give the acronym here. We've got a couple verses to look on here. Um, you can fill out your, your form. But the acronym we've talked about before is it's called PREACH. And, and we're going to look at that. And, and really, I feel like God's given me some thoughts in light of the book of Acts that relate to the same acronym. The acronym is just a tool that I think hopefully will help us understand the task that we've been given when it, it comes to preaching. You know, um, sometimes people think, well, I don't have to preach because I'm not a preacher, right? Um, but, you know, the disciples, all of his Jesus followers were given the same mission here. And a couple of those verses are, well, from the book of Acts that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that was given to to all the disciples. Another place, Jesus put it like this. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Um, And so we've all been called to preach. Whether you see yourself as a preacher or not, that's our assignment. And I think sometimes people don't like that word. It's not a modern word. Um, You know, the only other, I I think one translation says proclaim instead of preach. But the idea is... um, that it's proactive, and really that's, we're going to look at this first blank here, it's just um, in preach, is that, uh, oops, oops, let me back it up here, it's, um, we'll, we'll use these verses here, I forget, you've got the blanks, I've got the, a couple of the verses here, but, so the blank here just says, proactively proclaim the good news, I think, um, proactively proclaim the good news, and, and I think again this comes back to the idea of a cause, you know, when you're an activist about something, activists, they initiate, they engage, they're proactively bringing things to the forefront. Now, sometimes, some activists are doing that in a way that includes vandalism and flipping cars and lighting things on fire and, and looting, of course. You've got to loot to be a good activist. Um, but, you know, the, the goal is there's, there's being proactive. And, and sometimes I wonder, and even as I've been thinking through this lately and challenged by this, I wonder if in, in some ways we become Christian pacifists. 
we, we believe the gospel is, is the answer and it's really good, but unless someone crosses our path and asks us about it, um, you know, and if they do, we'll do our good duty and we'll tell them about Jesus. But when I look at the disciples in, in Acts, they, they were not sitting around waiting. They were actively engaging and bringing their message to the forefront of their culture and any situation they found themselves in. And, and I wonder if God wants us to get a little more proactive than we have been. Um, not reactive, not waiting until someone comes to us, but but initiating and, and bringing our message before things that uh, maybe are bigger than we've done. You know, I think of different times and in, in our uh, history of churches, some of you may know, you know, um, our association of churches began back in the early 70s, but the way it began was that there were a number of young people uh, at the time, and, and a couple of them might be in our midst here or will be in our midst. Um, they, I think there might have been a flat tire for Dennis and Thelma here. I'm not sure. But, um, but back in the 70s, there were some people that just, they were reading the book of Acts. And they were going, what's going on here? What do we think? How does this relate to our world? And they went and they got active. And they started bringing the gospel to different campuses and different cities. And, and people started getting saved and churches started forming. And then I think there were there are other seasons of these surges of people getting active with the gospel. It includes a huge, uh, you know... Movement in in the city of Ames, Iowa, back in Iowa State. We got some Iowa State alumni here. Any Iowa State alum? We got one here. No? There's a couple there. Yeah, we got some we got some activists here from Ames. Um, but there was there there were people getting wild and crazy with the gospel, and they were taking it to places that you know would be on, not kosher nowadays. I think um, there's been different other pockets of that happening, and, and I wonder if God doesn't want to do another pocket of that in our midst. I know a number of us were a uh, part of a church up in Fort Collins there, the, the Summit View Church, and um, the Rock came out of that, which is the college church, uh, or college arm of the church there. But uh, we got really active with the gospel out there. I remember once we were teaching the outreach class and just training people to share their faith, and there were two people in the class that were like, you know what we're going to do? We need to set up an appointment with the president of Colorado State University. We need to sit down before him and we need to share this message with him. And uh, John and Ginger set up an appointment with President Yates. And and they came and I don't know what he thought was going to happen there, but they were on a mission to share the diagram with President Yates. And and they got an appointment and they communicated the gospel and, and then they got kicked off of camp. No, um, but they were, you know, the people were just proactive. And I, I wonder if there's just, we all have our glory stories, whether it's Ames or the riding the bus back in the day or Fort Collins or whatever it is. But I wonder if God is, is waiting for a group of people to seek him and start obeying him like people did back then. And it's exciting, but it's a little bit humbling because it uh, kind of means maybe that's not going on the way he wants it to right now. And me as a pastor, responsible for helping lead and be an example of this church. Um, and I think all of us as pastors would feel like, you know what, it's probably, probably something needs to happen here. And so I think you guys can just join us in praying about becoming activists with the gospel. Whatever that means. Again, we're not talking about vandalism or crime or anything like that. But we're talking about initiating and engaging people um, with, with what we've been given to do here. So um, that's the blank there. Um, let's see, the next one we look at is R is for reach. Um, we have two verses here. We'll look at reach people with the good news about Jesus. Maybe that, uh, 
Maybe that seems obvious. So we're to be proactive. Part of preaching is you can't be preachy without being proactive. And, and like it or not, you know, God wants us to be proactive, maybe without the bad preachy connotations. But it does have to mean proactive. It, it's that activist mentality. But it's not just... Um, with sometimes we, we talk about getting proactive with the gospel, and, and the gospel to me, you know, maybe it's a, a pet peeve or a uh, kind of a burr under my saddle. But the gospel, I believe, is a buzzword in this culture. And there's books on the gospel this and the gospel that, and gospel-centered discipleship and gospel-centered this and that. And in some ways, I feel like it's become this word that is so uh, mysterious that it means a lot of things to a lot of people. And maybe if you just say the gospel. Someone's going to fall down and get saved. Or, or maybe I mean, it means something that's so confusing that you just leave a conversation. It seems profound because they just had no idea what you were talking about. Um, but, you know, the gospel, getting the gospel out is really getting the message out about Jesus Christ. You know, um, when, when you look at the book of Acts and what their messages were on, they... They were telling people about what Jesus did on the cross and who, that he rose and that he's alive and that he's coming back. But it was all, you know, I wonder if we need to get back to a Jesus-centered gospel. It's about an introduction of, of people to their Savior, to the Savior, Jesus Christ, and about how to live a life that's powered and fueled on, on Jesus himself living in and through us and, and how we can have a confidence about what is to come uh, and what Jesus is preparing in heaven for us. But... Um, they were very clear about getting the name of Jesus out there and in some ways confronting people with that. I, we, we've talked about it before, but reach people with the good news about Jesus. It's kind of like extending a, it's like extending a rescue line. You know, it's when people are doing, you're hiking Long's Peak or something or, or whatever it is. Someone, you hear those stories on the news where someone falls and they're stranded on the side of a cliff or something and the rescue teams go in and try to get them out. But I, I liken our job as disciples is proactively extending a rescue line to, to people who are stranded. And, and we extend it, and the, you know, the end is basically an introduction to Jesus Christ. And they could say, you know, uh, I take it or I leave it, but we, our job is to extend the rescue line. And he does the saving, he does the life transforming, but our job is to extend an invitation to meet the Savior and have your life transformed. And, you know, sometimes I think it is the case that it's like some, some people don't want to be rescued by Jesus. It's like you extend a rescue line down and it says, you know, uh, made by a Christian or something like that. A Christian rescue rope. And people are like, no, you know, I'm going to try to find another way. I'm going to try to climb out of this. I'm going to try to, you know, I'd rather stay stranded than to take hold of, of the Christ, of the Savior. And, and yet, that's, that's their deal. They'll give account for that. But our deal is, did you extend the rescue line to anyone uh, as God gave you opportunity especially? And um, again, there's this idea here. Um, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees back in the days and he said, you guys study the scriptures. You think through, the, through this book, you're going to get eternal life. And, and I wonder if, if a modern day translation of what he was telling these guys is, you think that the gospel, you tell people about the gospel. It's all about the gospel. Somehow the gospel is... Um, they're going to get eternal life by just saying gospel or, or something. But he goes on to say, but the gospel testifies about me and you refuse to come to me for life. And we have to remember this message is not just an intellectual assent to the facts. The message is an introduction to a living being, to a person who will come into your life and transform you and lead you on a wild and crazy adventure. And so we have to make sure it's not just this academic message we're trying to get out, but it's, it's a personal message. 
invitation. And so, um, anyways, we need to reach people with the good news about Jesus. And, and that's part of being preach, preach or being proactive. Um, let's see what else. E is, I go backwards here. E is uh, everyone, everywhere. Again, that's part of the, uh, part of the mission. I think this verse doesn't, isn't the one for that. But um, yeah, yeah, it has a part in here. But everyone, everywhere um, is the verse there. Um, I think it's the Living Bible when it talks about verse um, from Mark sixteen fifteen. And he just says, go out and preach the good news to everyone, everywhere. And just a few thoughts on that as we're, you know, looking at the book of Acts and the first disciples. Um, you know, the blank there, everyone, everywhere, the, the sub point there is reach those, reach those you know and those you don't know. Uh, sometimes I like to play with that blank and be like, reach those you like and those you don't like. But it's really reach those you know and those you don't know. And, and sometimes, you know, we can tend towards one or the other of those camps there. Um, but I just want to get us thinking about that. That means... Sometimes we are initiating with people, we're given opportunities with people we, we don't know. You read through gospel, the, gospel, uh, the Gospels, you, you read through uh, Paul and, and Peter and their journeys in Acts, and a lot of times they were telling people about Jesus who they had no social currency with. They weren't related to him, they didn't have any like, you know, check my credentials. They were just proactively initiating with people in cities where people needed to get saved. And... The, the thing I was noticing here is that this word, um, you know, it talks about, in this case, Acts 16 is a great chapter, but in two places in this chapter, it talks about them engaging. One was with Lydia, who, who was earlier in the chapter, and then this one was with the jailer and his household. But um, we'll just read this verse. You know, at one point the jailer says to, um, to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your whole household. Goes on to say, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all those who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night, washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And the word household is one, it it relates to those you know. The Greek word for that is oikos. It's this network of family and friends and relatives and um, some situations you see uh, an entire oikos was reached and became believers right there. This guy's whole family, um, Lydia and all those in her household, they, they got saved. They turned to Christ and they got baptized and, and they went from there. And So again, this I, it relates to the idea of people you know and people you don't. Sometimes we're like, well, uh, you know, I'm just going to share with those I know. And we absolutely need to do that. Um, and if you've got family and people in your oikos, your network, if you will, um, we've got to get the gospel to them. But we also have to realize that the disciples, they were, they kind of were also called to reach the world. And that includes a lot of people they weren't related to. And, um, and I think about the idea of we have to break into people's oikos. Really, the, the first disciples, they were faithful with those they knew and loved. And they also went into places they knew nobody. And like Paul shared the gospel with Lydia. And all of a sudden, her entire world was... Uh, used to communicate the gospel. But if Paul had not come into that world or, or Peter in other situations did not, um, the, the gospel would not have spread. And so we have to think about where are those places that we have a network already? And where are the places God might want us to break into a new network and, and start spreading the gospel there and then let them leverage their oikos and their family and things like that. And so we just want to 
continue to watch for those opportunities in, in both of those uh, realms. There are those we know and those we don't, and just, again, being proactive with that. But um, uh, A is the next part of the preach. Everyone, everywhere. Let's see here. Um, you know, an A is ask God... Um, Ask God for sovereign opportunities and supernatural backing. You know, last week we talked a lot about this, Acts chapter 4, where the disciples basically prayed, God, enable us to speak your word boldly and back us with your powerful, your supernatural hand. And, and we need to be asking God for these opportunities and, um, and ask him for, for a supernatural intervention to really grab someone's attention. And so many examples of that throughout Acts here. Um, really, one of the practicals, we come back to is, is just asking God, God, who is next? Who's next that you want me to share with? You're working on people. Acts 17, um, Paul tells, he says, you know, God has placed every person exactly where they are in the right times, um, determined exactly where they'd live so that they would reach out to him and find him. And, you know, I think God has placed people around us that um, they're going to be looking for him and they need someone like you and I to come alongside them and say, you know what? Here's, here's what you're looking for. You're trying to See your life change. You're trying to remove guilt or shame from your life. The answer is Jesus. And let me tell you about what he did and and what he's done in my life. But we need to ask God, who is next? And and I don't know about you. Anytime I get still and I start thinking through my life and I go, God, who do you want me to share with? Sometimes I I, I have a few people that I already know I'm supposed to share with them. And and I need to kind of be faithful with the list he's given me. But I encourage you to take some time to, to look over your world and go, God, who do you want me to share share my story with next, share your story with next. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's people already on the list there. But we need to ask God for that and, and ask God again for the supernatural backing, that he would be doing things and shaking up people's lives in ways that uh, you just walk into it and, and they know they're a part of something bigger than than just you coming to them with, uh, with a piece of paper or something like that. So um, that's, let's see. And then the next thing here I want to talk about is Catch, catch God's heart. Let me see here. Um, and this verse will relate to that. Catch God's heart. Um, so a few verses I have listed on your handout there. First Timothy 2, 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3 talks about that God doesn't want anyone to perish. Um, but he wants all to come to repentance and uh, none to perish. First Timothy says he wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Um, and, you know, one thing I've just been thinking about here um, is maybe just to help our understanding grow, catch God's heart a little more. But um, when it comes to being saved, you know, we read that passage just a second ago. The guy said, how can I be saved? You know, the classic question is, what, what do we need to be saved from? And I'll throw that out to you as a beyond a rhetorical question. What do we need to be saved from? I hear it. Yeah, it's, that's right. Say it louder. What do we need to be saved from? Sins is, sins is the predominant answer I'm hearing. Rob's got another one too there, which, which separation from God. Sins, God's judgment. And, you know, um, I think a lot of times we, I've even preached before, you know, we need to be saved from our sins. And it's, uh, and that's true. And yet, um, there's a, a, I don't know, sometimes we think about our sins. We live in a world where it's like sin is kind of this subjective thing. Well, that's sin to you, but it's not sin to me. Sometimes I feel like we're trying to provide the solution uh, and people don't, they don't see the problem clearly. We could try to help them understand their sins, but uh, 
It reminds me of like one analogy is just like body odor, okay? Um, this the, the body odor analogy, but it, it's kind of like um, we, we're trying to save someone from body odor. And, uh, you know, depending on your cultural backgrounds and things like that, you know, well, what may be body odor to you is not body odor to me. There's some cultures where that's actually a fine thing. And so here we are as Christians telling people, you need Jesus as your deodorant or something like that. And they're going, I like the way I smell. And my culture thinks it's okay to smell like this. And, um, but you know, there's maybe a, a different, a bigger approach to think about is that and Rob alluded to that there as well. But sin, people need to be saved from sin. Um, but there's a bigger reason behind that. And um, I noticed just going through Acts this time is that Paul, when he was uh, talking, when people were preaching, Paul and Peter, when they're preaching to those who were of Jewish background, they, they told them about Jesus as the Messiah. You know, the context of the prophets and the one who is to come and, and save the world and the, the Christ. And, and they instantly knew what he was talking about. But when Paul or Peter was talking to the Gentiles, you know what they referred to several times? They didn't refer to Jesus as the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. They referred to it, in this case, Peter is talking to, to those in Joppa who were not Jewish. And um, um, he was talking to a lot of Gentiles there, and it was this big to-do. But when he preached Jesus there, you know, he, he said he ordered us to preach to the people to testify that he is the one who's been point, appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. And the prophets, you know, bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. But they, uh, they warned about the coming judge, the one who would judge sin. Sin is a problem because God is going to judge it uh, with his eternal and righteous and holy wrath. And, and that is something that people need to be saved from. You know, if that's sin to you or sin to me, and I, it doesn't really matter, but when people catch that their creator, they have to give account to their creator, and he is going to punish sin. Sin is a, uh, a breaking of his eternal laws. Sin is a violation of the character of God. And they're going to come before that God, that creator. And he's the Lord of heaven and earth. And at that time, he will be their judge. And it's going to be a terrible, terrible thing to face the judge who's going to express his eternal wrath against all sin. And those who have not found Jesus as their Savior, those who found Jesus as their Savior, those who believe in him, know that God expressed his wrath against his Son. And those who believe in Jesus are under the, the covering of what Christ did for our sins. But those who have not looked to Jesus and are found guilty of sinning against their eternal, holy, and righteous creator, that's going to be a dreadful thing. And people need to catch a sense that um, they're going to give account. And Jesus will be the judge of the living and of the dead. And we have to help them maybe catch the bigger picture. And they may still go, you know what? I don't believe in a creator, whatever. But we have some things working in our advantage. One is that God has given every person, whether they're Christian or not, or church or not, he's given every, every person a conscience. And when they violate their conscience, there's a guilt that a soul fills. And, and that's designed to find a way to remove the guilt. And God has placed a conscience there. And then he's, he's placed a, a savior who's coming to this world. And people have a sense that, boy, the judge, I, I will be judged. I, I sense that unless someone has disconnected from their conscience, what happens when, when someone gets um, deep into sin and, and doesn't care about that anymore. But anyways, I, I think we need to realize, catch God's heart, that the judge is coming. And, and it's going to be a dreadful thing to found guilty of 
violating a, or you know breaking the law, violating the character of God, and, and having earned His His eternal wrath. So something to think on more. But um, it's something that stood out to me in, in Acts as they're proclaiming things. Um, you know, the last part I just want to talk about here: the, the H is have no hindrances. Maybe the H can stand for hindrances, hindrance removal, something like that. But have no hindrances is a positive way of saying it, and still using an H. Um, but we, we need to maybe take some time, look over our lives and just go, where are things hindering me from being active with the gospel, from being an activist? Uh, maybe it's unconfessed sin. Maybe it's sin we're keeping in the dark, uh, not confessing to God or, or patterns that we have not shared with others that we can't get out of. Maybe the sin is praying with unbelief. We're saying, God, who is next? And we just go, yeah, I've prayed that before and you haven't answered that in a while, so whatever, I'm going to keep doing my life. Um, Maybe it's, there's unbelief going on, or we don't believe it's that big of a deal to carry out this mission. Um, maybe there's things where we're compromising our, our, our witness, or we're disobeying. God's bringing people to us that he wants to share with. He's given us a network of people, and, and we have not been sharing about him. We've been pacifists as a Christian. Just, well, I hope they notice that I'm different and uh, ask me about it. Which, if they do, give them, give them a reason for the hope you have. But that's not the assignments of go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. That, that's what we need to wrestle with. And, um, you know, I, I've heard stories about back when the movement of uh, Great Commission churches started and other pockets of revival. But a lot of times they, they were just when people went back to the scriptures and they looked at what was going on and they compared their life now to what they read about and they thought something should change. And, you know, I'm not going to throw out all the solutions there and stuff, but I, I do think that you and I maybe need to evaluate our lives in, in light of other human examples that God gave us, recorded in the Bible, and, and see, is, is our life, is our focus different than their focus? Is our uh, faith different than their faith? Is our obedience different than their obedience and if so, what do we do to reconcile that? And I think as we answer that question together as a church and individually, I think some things might happen that are going to be different than we've experienced in recent years here. And, and maybe it relates to revival. Maybe it relates to, to renewal, something along that lines. But, but I think God wants to do that. And uh, I know I need it. And I don't know about you, but um, it sounds exciting to me. And I think it's time. And, and it almost sounds a little bit scary. I'm afraid what might God call me to do if I really go, God, I'm in here. What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to talk to? You know, the president of the university, the, the mayor, the governor. I don't know what was on the list. But there's some things there that kind of make me go, you know, I'm in, God. But I don't know if I'm in that in. Um, but I want to be all in. And, and I hope you do too. And I hope you would just search your heart and see, if, is there anything you need to repent of? Maybe... Um, Maybe you've kind of been tacking on living life and tack the gospel on to your life as compared to making it the gospel, the great commission, the central cause that you're living for, and you tack life onto that. Kind of like these guys we read about. You know, in some ways it seems a little uh, fairy tale-ish to go, how could they have been so focused? What about their family? What about their job? What about their bills, their mortgage? Um, you know, and I think the question is going to be put in our lap sometime. What about, what about the mission? You know, and... Uh, uh, I just was thinking about the promise. Some of you know Matthew six thirty three, but it says, "Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well." And it seems like the first disciples they were all about His His kingdom expanding and um, 
in the hearts of men and women through the message about getting right with the king. And, and then he took care of everything else. And I wonder if it's time for us to get back to this. And again, I just ask that you join me in praying about this and seeking God um, what, what his plans are for our church in this day and age that we live in. I do think we've got to get active about something. And I think it's about uh, the Great Commission here and um, how we different expressions and opportunities he's given us here. But anyways, I'm going to close um, just with this quick, uh, quick presentation on, uh, on the gospel that uh, I think, again, points, points to Jesus as the, the Jesus-centered gospel. But it's also uh, five truths uh, that can be shared, I think, in five minutes here. We can time it. Um, but my hope is to continue to, to use this and, and take opportunities to share this with others. But it's really five truths from the gospel story. You know, the gospel is a part of a bigger story. And, and we need to maybe catch that and communicate that. And it might even give us uh, a better end than just kind of like, hey, you need to be saved from your sins. Um, but anyways, we're going to just go over this real quickly here. And we'll pray and, and be on our way. But um, Let's see here. So five eternal truths from the gospel story. You know, the first truth is this. That God created this world and us perfectly to have a loving and lasting relationship with himself. You know, uh, part of the bigger story is you and I were created for a loving and eternal relationship with God. Whether you, you fully catch that or not, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female Another place it says he saw that all that he made and it was very good. You know, in the beginning, this world was perfect. There was not sin, brokenness, cancer, nothing like that. And, and there was a, a perfect setting for a loving relationship with God. Jesus even said when, when asked, what was the greatest thing? What's the greatest command in, in all the scriptures? He said, you know, it's about a loving relationship with God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. You've been given a heart for a relationship with God. With all your soul. That means your, uh, your will. Your, some call your soul even your eternal personality. And your choices. Love God with all your soul. There's an eternal side of that relationship there as well. And then with all your mind. But we've been created for a loving relationship with God. It's a truth. It's an eternal truth from our eternal creator. Um, next thing we've got to catch is... It kind of gives us the framework here, but this is uh, maybe the bad news that sets us up for the good news. But sin has broken our world and severed our relationship with God. Here's a great verse that captures that, and it's talking about the sin of of God's people at the time. But it says, because of their sin, and he goes through some of the Ten Commandments, because you're doing this, this, and this, you're not being faithful to me. And he, he lists half the Ten Commandments, I think, in this passage, but... It says, therefore the land mourns, and everyone who lives in it languishes, along with the beasts of the field, and the birds of the sky, and the fish of the sea also disappear. But because of the sin that's in this world, the whole planet's suffering. And sometimes people take up a cause for the whales, or for the birds, or for the rainforest. And you know what? The reality is, all of those are suffering, and being damaged because of the sin that's in this world. Um, And... Maybe uh, here's another verse here. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Sin is broken. Sin and selfishness have broken our world. They've severed our relationship with God. And then the more personal side of that is our personal sin has earned God's eternal punishment. The wages of sin is death. So sin has broken this world, but yet... 
when you and I have sinned, um, we've earned, our, our personal sin has earned God's eternal punishment. We've broken his eternal laws, and that's the consequence that comes with it. So that's uh, the second truth. The third truth is this. God came into this broken world in the person of Jesus Christ and took the punishment for our sins on his cross. You might know some of these verses here. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He did this because he loves us and desires to restore our relationship with God. There's another great verse on that. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. God knew we'd sinned against him and earn his eternal punishment, but God created us for a loving and eternal relationship. And so he provided a solution in the person of Jesus Christ. And, um, and so that's really, in some ways, the, the crux of the gospel is that he took the sins that you, the punishment, the wrath that you're, you and I deserved. Um, and he offers forgiveness as a, a free gift, eternal life to anyone who believes. And the fourth truth is this, that Jesus came and he, and he took the punishment for our sins, but Jesus overcame the power of sin and death through his resurrection. A couple great verses on that and, and on the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried. And he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. A couple other verses on this. This proved his divine authority to forgive sins, to grant eternal life, and to be the judge of the living and the dead. This verse on Romans, it just said, He was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, he, he died to take on our sins, but he rose to prove his authority to pay for our sins and his authority to grant eternal life like he promised and also to show the power that, that he has for us to live for him in this world. Last truth is um, Jesus is alive and, and he's coming back soon. Again, it's, uh, it's not just the facts about Jesus, the historical Jesus, but that he rose from the grave means he's alive today and he wants relationship with you and I, but he's coming back soon. He says this in the last chapter of the Bible. Behold, I am coming soon to repay each one for what he's done. He's coming back to, to bring recompense is what it says in uh, another version here, but what we deserve for good or, or for bad. And um, this verse says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. You know, if you believe in the Son, Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. And whoever rejects the Son, God's wrath is still coming. God's wrath is still due to be paid by them. And that is why we've got to get this message out. Um, he will give, when he, when he comes, he will give eternal life to those who trust him as Savior. He will give eternal punishment to those who've rejected them, him. And still remain guilty of their sin. And so, um, you know, I just want to close with each one of us asking this question. I don't know where you are all spiritually. Some of you I know, some of you I don't. But um, which one describes you when the Lord returns? Is he going to return to give you eternal life because you've placed your trust in him as your savior? Or is he going to return and have to give you punishment because you're found guilty of your sins and you rejected him as a solution for that? Which one describes you? Just a couple verses to think about. Jesus' very first message recorded in the Gospel of Mark is this. The kingdom of God is near. You know, again, these truths are eternal because, you know, 2,000 years ago, 
people were thinking about his return and he said it's near and that's 2,000 years ago almost. That doesn't seem like very, uh, very soon or very near. But in light of eternity, it's very near. It's so close. And, um, but he said, repent and believe the good news. And whoever believes in him shall not perish. And to believe really means to look to or to place your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Um, and that's a personal thing. Have you placed your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And he offers um, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And I just want to close with this question here. Again, it's kind of like extending the, the rescue line um, to every person. But... Um, Would you like to personally open your life to Jesus Christ and receive the gift of eternal life? If you haven't done that before, would you like to do that? Would you like to personally open your life to Jesus and receive forgiveness and eternal life that he offers as a gift? Um, We're going to close with with just a prayer here. But again, uh, I know some of you I have not met here today and uh, some of you I don't know where you're at. But the question is to you. Would you like to open your life to Christ? And if you have, and I encourage you just to pray and think through how... How can we live for what Jesus died for? We've been given a cause and a mission that's greater than any other cause on this planet. And, and are we living for that? But if you haven't received him as, as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to get right with him today. And we'll just go ahead and bow your heads this morning. And, um, you know, if anyone wants to pray and invite Jesus into their life and, and reconnect with that loving and eternal relationship, you know, maybe... Um, Maybe you can just pray with me here. There's a a prayer on the screen, and and if it expresses your heart, we can just pray that together here. Um, But, uh, you know, I'll just kind of read through it here, but it just says, Dear God, thank you for creating me for a loving relationship with you. I admit that I've sinned against you and have earned your eternal punishment. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins and that you raised him from the dead. I invite Jesus into my life as my Lord and Savior. Please help me to enjoy the loving relationship that you created me for. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If that's something either that you prayed here this morning or that you want to get right today, I encourage you to do that. Just express your heart to God on this. I'm going to go ahead and pray to close our time here. Well, Lord Jesus, we do uh, just thank you again for meeting with us this morning. God, I pray you would help um, each one of us uh, just wrestle with all these questions and wrestle with the example that we were given of other human beings just like us who lived radical lives uh, as activists for the good news about you, Jesus. I pray, God, where we need to repent, where we need to change priorities, change our thinking, confess sin, grow in faith. Lord, whatever it is, help us. Help us have no hindrances to carrying out your will in this generation. Lord, I pray that you would give us sovereign opportunities to tell people about you. Lord, bring them to us and bring us to them, Lord, with with the gospel, with the good news about you. Lord, I also pray that you would just, you would do some things that are supernatural, things that cause us to live in, in fear and reverence of your name. Um, and God, that would cause others to, to see that your name is greater than any other name on this planet, of any other philosopher, any other God, any other anything, Lord God. I, I just pray that you would stir us up, that your name would be honored here in this church, in our lives, in this city. And we just ask that you would just reach into our lives, Lord. Shake us up, do whatever's needed. 
We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.